630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, well, a vote by the NHL Players Association going to take at least a couple of days on the return to play protocol and some ratifications for an extension to the collective bargaining agreement. But we're looking now at training camps uh, July 13th. Teams reporting to the hubs maybe around the 26th. Games starting August 1st. And then the Stanley Cup being awarded in early October. That is the latest on the NHL. Not as much to discuss on that tonight that we will have Bob Stoffer Oilers now host on a little bit later on. We will touch on the uh, evolving story with the Washington Redskins. We're finally going to look at their nickname and, of course, the obvious potential impact here in Edmonton with our Eskimos of the CFL. Now, of course, over the last few weeks on Inside Sports, we've been doing some profiles and really interesting interviews with play-by-play voices from around Canada and the United States. And, oh, man, we have a special guest tonight. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine here on their home court. Here's Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Miller waiting, looking, it comes to Marley, a long three, he got it, he got it, and there's no bananas at America Western everybody, along with Vinny Del Negro, Al McCoy with you courtside. Comes up a three. Shazam! He ties it. In the corner, Roger Bell. The three. Oh! He got it! Shazam! Oh, All right on. That sounds great. And that is the legendary voice of a man who has called games for the Phoenix Suns in the NBA since 1972. He's getting ready for the NBA restart. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Al, McCoy. Al McCoy. Al, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> hey, thank you so much. I have had the laugh listening to those uh, replays there. Brought back a few memories, but it's certainly great to have an opportunity to be on with you. You're in one of my favorite cities, and and you may not even be aware of this fact. As you know, I'm trying to finish my 48th year with the Suns, but I was into hockey. I did the Phoenix Roadrunners of the old Western Hockey League at one time, and uh, so your city's one of the great cities, no question about it, and nice to have a chance to visit with you. Okay, so were you coming up here, uh, man, it would have been late 60s and early 70s when they were playing the Oil Kings. Do I have that right? That's correct, right. That's exactly right. The old Western Hockey League. And there were only eight teams in the National Hockey League at that time, so it was really, really was a great league. And then after that, I got with the Suns, and as I mentioned, I'm trying to finish my 48th season if we ever get these uh, final eight games in. We'll see. Okay, well, I, I mean, you're obviously in a, in a heavy market here, and I do want to talk to you about the Suns, but let's, let's just visit your... Uh, your hockey calling career was that uh, I like how did how did you how did you get into that? Uh, I mean, I, I think you grew up in Iowa, so I don't know what exposure you would have had to hockey uh, as a young guy. Tell me about that. Well, I grew up in Iowa, and the first time I do anything about hockey, I heard Foster Hewitt out of Toronto on an old radio broadcast. But what transpired was uh, I was working in Phoenix. I had been in Buffalo, New York, prior to that. And uh, when the Western Hockey League put a team into Phoenix, uh, the gentleman that was their play-by-play announcer came from Buffalo. His name was Jim Wells, and he was a friend of mine. And I'll make this story short. Uh, He came to me and he said, why don't you work with me on the broadcast? And I said, well, I've never done hockey. I don't know that much about it. 
He said, well, I'm going to do the play-by-play. He said, you could do the fill-in between periods and an interview or two. So I said, okay. So that I was with him the first year that the Phoenix Roadrunners were in the Western Hockey League. The next year, early in the season, we were on our way to Denver, and uh, the general manager of the Roadrunners at that time, a man named Bob Whitlow, came running out to the airport and said to me, Al, you're going to have to do the game. This announcer, Jim Wells, had fallen through a glass shower door and was severely injured. So I got thrown into the play-by-play job in a hurry, and it was six weeks before Jim Wells was available to come back. And when he did, he said to me, Al, why don't you just continue to do the (laughs) play-by-play? And so I did for about five years on both radio and TV, and it was a great league, that Western Hockey League at that time. Oh, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that memory for sure. Have you have you ever had any occasion to come back to Edmonton since then? No, I haven't. And uh, I, I wish that I, I could. And uh, when things get calmed down, it would be on my wish list. No question about it. Well, right on. Okay, so I, I mentioned you've been calling Suns games since 72. Just such an incredible run. I, I mean, can you can you take us back to that first season? I mean, I... I mean, I've started jobs in broadcasting, and, and you're you're trying to get through the first week or the first month. You're not thinking 42 years ahead. Well, you know, I uh, when the Suns uh, came to Phoenix, when they got an NBA franchise, the original general manager was a gentleman named Jerry Colangelo, and he eventually owned the team and then brought also baseball to Phoenix at the same time. And uh, he wanted me to do the... the uh, play-by-play from the very beginning, but we just didn't get together for a couple of years. And when I finally did, it was the culmination of really what I had wanted throughout my career. As you mentioned, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. I was a radio and a sports buff, and I worked uh, in various places around the country, in Iowa and Chicago and in Buffalo, New York. I did other sports. I did TV. I was a disc jockey, but I always wanted to be an announcer with one team. And when I got that opportunity with the Phoenix Suns uh, now, 48 years ago, it was really the ultimate of what I had wanted as a career, and it's been a great ride. It really has been. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I, I combined the two years. You started in 72. You're in your 48th season, which is just right. amazing. Uh, Al, I mean, we got a few more minutes. I'm probably not going to be able to dive into as much as I like, so I'll throw a few uh uh, Suns-related questions at you, and you've had you had one of the greatest Canadian athletes of all time on the team, and that was uh, Steve Nash, who won the MVP twice as a member of the Suns. Tell me about getting to know Steve as a player and a person. Well, when we originally drafted him, and no one had heard of him, and when he was drafted by the Suns, we had a press conference, and uh, so I used to come up with different nicknames for players. And at the press conference, one of the media said to me, well, Al, what are you going to come up with for Steve Dash? And I said, well, that's going to be easy. He's going to be the Nash Rambler. And after the press conference, Steve came to me and said, what's a Nash Rambler? I said, well, believe it or not, Steve, it was a car, a Nash, and it was called a Rambler. And he became that. And one of the greatest, not only one of the greatest players, but one of the greatest personal individuals I've ever been involved with in sports with Steve Nash. Just an unbelievable guy. 
I mean, I mentioned he won the MVP. Uh, Charles Barkley won an MVP the year the Suns went to the finals in 93 and lost to, to one of the Bulls dynasty teams. Like, are those the two greatest sons of all time? I mean, I know I know they've had some great players. I know that's that's a tough question, but do you have a uh, a starting five or a top three or four for the franchise history? Well, it's always tough to do that to mention to mention the players that you mentioned. I mean, Sir Charles and Steve Nash would should be on top of the list, but early in the Suns' career, Hall of Famer uh, Amari and then Amari. I'm talking about Connie Hawkins, who's in the Hall of Fame probably did more than any single individual to bring NBA basketball to Arizona. And then so many great players, Amari Stoudemire, Walter Davis, uh, of course, Charles Barkley. I could go on and on because the Suns have been blessed with a lot of great players. But the two you mentioned, uh, Barkley and, of course, Steve Day, certainly would be on the top of the list. And I have to mention, Reed, a lot of people ask me my greatest moments. The Suns have been to the finals twice. They haven't won an NBA championship. In 76, they played Boston. 93, they played Chicago. In both of those NBA final playoff series, there were triple overtime games. The only time in the history of the league, and I had the opportunity to do both those games, and they were certainly highlights in my career. The Suns lost that game in Boston, still called the greatest game ever played, but they won the game in Chicago against Michael Jordan and company in that triple overtime game. Was that the year Barkley said you can take all that blank off your windows to the business owners who was afraid there's going to be a ride in Chicago? That's exactly right. And I'm glad you mentioned Charles Barkley because we all know him from his TV work now. But that year with the Suns, he, he had the greatest year of his career. He was the MVP, and the Suns won more games than any team in the NBA. And he simply was unbelievable. I had never seen an individual player who just simply would not let his team lose. And the Suns won 62 of their 82 games that year. And uh, he, w- he was simply fantastic. Al, McCoy, Al McCoy joining us on Inside Sports. He's been the play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns since 1972. Honored to have him on the show. Uh, I'll ask you a couple fun ones here. And I've, I've asked other play-by-play guys this. And, Al, I find I usually get an interesting answer, which is why I keep it in my Rolodex of questions. Worst location you've ever had to call a game from? (laughs) Well, Reed, you had to bring that up because this is one of the things that I'm certainly against in all of the sports where they have moved our radio broadcast locations. And we've had some, some simply horrible ones, no question about it. And uh, I've had, it would really be hard to pinpoint them. New York's Madison Square Garden is probably one of the worst where you uh, you just can't uh, even hardly see the players or see the floor. And uh, I remember the first time I went into the garden to do a Suns game and Rod Hundley, Hot Rod Hundley, the famous player, was my color analyst in those days. And at the beginning of the broadcast, I said, Rod, see those five players down there in uniform for the next of the five for the Suns? He said, yes. I said, well, get their names because they're going to play the whole game. As far as I'm concerned, those are the only ones we know about. But uh, we've had some bad locations, and it's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, that's show business, as they say, Reed. So when you were courtside, uh, did, did the mics ever pick up anything from a coach or player where you were like, uh-oh, that probably shouldn't have gone on? Well, it did, but, you know, to me, that was part of it. And fortunately, here in Phoenix... All through my years, we have been on the floor, which is where you want to broadcast NBA basketball because it gives you the real feel of the game, and you can connect with coaches and players 
and referees. Uh, so there have uh, probably been a few times when a few things popped over the air that might not have gone over with everybody, but part of the game. And it was it was uh, fun while it lasted, having those courtside seats. Okay, so let, let's uh, let's look ahead here. You're going to be getting back to work, uh, and and the Suns are are one of these teams. They're going to have to try to work their way up to play their their way into the postseason, aren't they? Through these final, uh, what do they have? Eight games scheduled in Florida. Yeah, eight games. Yeah, yeah. They look read. They look at eight games remaining in the regular season, and the Suns are one of the 22 teams that'll be going to Florida uh, this coming week, and uh, we will broadcast those games, but we will not be in Florida. I will be here in Phoenix in a so-called studio with a TV monitor and doing the game off of the TV monitor. Kind of re- will remind me of some of my old early days when I recreated baseball games, Reed. But uh, this is the way we're going to do the games. We will not be in Orlando, and we'll be actually calling the game uh, off of a television monitor. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out. Tell people about recreating the baseball games. That's an interesting part of history. Well, uh, that's how I happened to get to Phoenix. I came there uh, way back uh, when the Giants moved from New York to San Francisco and the Dodgers from Brooklyn to L.A. And uh, in, in early in that, we didn't travel all the time with those teams in uh, minor league baseball. It was the Phoenix Giants at that time. So we recreated, and uh, we would have either a teletype operator initially or a person individual that would send you the basic facts of the game but we did a lot in those days we recorded a lot of crowd noise we recorded a different noise for different hits and home runs and we had a lot of fun with it but we sat in an air-conditioned studio and sometimes i preferred that and to broadcast and recreate the games but it took a good imagination but it was fun uh i i just got a, a question here on our text line now uh, Reed, can you please ask your guest in all those years, how many games has he not been able to call? Has he ever been sick or just not been able to work? Well, the only game that I actually missed, uh, unfortunately, when my mother passed away, I missed a game. And there was one game where I had was not able to finish up because uh, the arena had had a livestock show and I started to get an allergic reaction. Uh, however, last year, of my own volition, I did uh, miss some games because I decided I didn't want to work in some of those arenas where we couldn't see the floor or anything else. But basically, uh, I've been pretty much on target uh, since 1972. That is amazing. Well, Al, thanks for checking in and telling part of your story tonight on Inside Sports. Maybe we can connect again because there are so many other avenues we could explore. But uh, all the best calling the games here when the Suns get back at it. Thanks for telling us about the Edmonton connection to your career as well. Really appreciate your time tonight, sir. Well, Reed, it's been a lot of fun visiting with you. You have a great city. And thanks so much for having me as a guest. I appreciate it. Excellent. Man, that is so cool to talk to Al McCoy. He told you the story, calling Phoenix Suns games since 1972. He's getting ready to go back to work, still having uh, a different experiences as he works through his career. He's going to have to be calling those games off monitors when the NBA gets back to work in Florida. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. We're back after the break. All right, well, that was really cool. Al McCoy. What a legend in broadcasting. 
87 years of age, still going strong as the play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns. That was uh, so awesome to have him on Inside Sports. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can reach out, 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. We'll check in with Bob Stoffer for some hockey talk, some Oilers talk between 6.30 and 7 tonight. PGA continuing the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. Webb Simpson and Chris Kirk are tied for the lead. 12 under par. The top Canadian, Adam Hadwin, he is tied for 20th, sitting four shots off the lead. Mike Trout, one of the best in baseball. Of course, he's the reigning American League MVP. Did take part in LA Angels workouts today, but he said that he hasn't made a final decision on playing this year. He and his wife, Jessica, expecting a child in August. Trout saying his mindset is to play but he says a lot is going to hinge on how he feels over the next couple of weeks. All right, NHL, quiet today on the news front, but we'll talk a little Hub City, some Oilers with Bob Stoffer when we get back. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Black Ocean, golden dark. All right, 6.30, Chet, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Eskimos. We are getting closer to Oilers hockey. Bob McKenzie at TSN tweeting out today that perhaps August 1st we would start games. I guess that would mean the Oilers would play either August 1st or August 2nd. Players still voting on the return to play protocol and ratifying some of uh, the CBA extension. So we'll keep you updated on that, of course, in the days to come on 630 Chet. As for the Canadian Football League, there have been reports, but nothing confirmed by the CFL, they're, that they're looking as Winnipeg at Winnipeg to be a hub city to play a season. Of course, Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, has already said nothing would start until early September. Maybe they would play uh, into December to get a 10-game season in for every team. We'll see if it would be 10 or 8, but they are exploring the hub city concept. And right now it appears looking at Winnipeg, though, again, nothing confirmed from the Canadian Football League. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that as well. Hopefully they can get some sort of a season in too. All right. So uh, Al McCoy was on the show. That was an absolute honor to talk to him. He's been calling games for the Phoenix Suns since 1972, and he's going to be getting to work calling games on a monitor when the NBA resumes their season uh, near Orlando. And the Suns are one of those teams outside of the playoff cut line, but they were close enough that they're going to be allowed to play some games to have a chance to qualify or get close enough to perhaps be in a a little two-game playoff to get in. And as as we bring in Bob Stauffer from Oilers now, Bob, the the great thing, well, many great things about talking to Al McCoy, but he started off by saying he used to come to Edmonton when he called Phoenix Roadrunners games in the Western Hockey League in the late 60s and early 70s. So interesting to find some sort of a connection to Edmonton with a guy who's been calling NBA games for almost five decades. Now, was that the team that featured Veli Pekka-Katola? I'm not sure, but because uh, uh, I believe he was Jesse Uensu's uh, um, idol growing up as a kid. And so now I'm going to have to check that on the fly. Because well, now i got to check up all the – okay, so but the Roadrunners Al called – like ended in 74 is that yeah the no 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 Veli, the- I, I think Veli Pekka Katola might have been on that team uh let's okay. just take now I'm checking on the fly this is great <laughs> this is uh this is this is what happens once in a while when we do a little bit of live radio but uh well this is uh, you and me pretty much when we when we get to prep for our 
games and we, 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 they, Bob and I will sit together in the booth at Rogers place and do our game notes or just start talking. And then, yeah, one guy will bring up some player or past team, uh, you know, in hockey or football or whatever. And then we fall into the rabbit hole of going on hockey DB or hockey reference or whatever. So now we're doing that live on air. I can't he did find not, him, Bob. He didn't. Yeah, no, he paid, he played for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, and the Calgary Cowboys, but did not play for Phoenix. So I feel shame. Uh, he played 74, 75, 75, 76. 76-77. He was a pretty good player. Uh, was Veli Pekakatola. He was a, you know, a, a rangier center, six foot two. And, uh, geez, he's 72 years of age now. Um, so we're going back a, a long, long time. But yeah, that's, that's awesome when you hear stories like that. It's kind of like Bob Ridley down in Medicine Hat. You know, he's been doing the Tigers games for 50 years. Think of all the kids that he's had come in over there over the years, including, you know, Chris Russell. It's currently playing for the Oilers and, uh, you know, Jay Bomeister and Joffrey Lupel going, uh, number three and number seven in that 2002 draft. Uh, so Cam Barker going, uh, number three in the 2004 draft out of Medicine Hat. Uh, going back to Lanny McDonald. I mean, he broadcasts Lanny McDonald's games. Tom Lysiak with the Medicine Hat Tigers. So that stuff, I love that stuff. That's fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's really fun to to talk to and and calling games off uh, off monitors for the NBA. And and look, I look, we I can tell people this because I I get asked, Ched's carrying Oilers games. There, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, for and in the playoffs, now we hope the Oilers are in the Western Conference Final. But in past seasons, we have carried both conferences and the Stanley Cup Final. Hopefully, we're going to be able to. Uh, to do that again but i guess bob we we still just to update people here like ched's bringing you the games we totally don't know where we're going to be i don't know if i'm going to be in the rink rob and i might just do everything like a road game and probably you and jack as we've had to do we are going to have to adapt as well yeah, well, we had a meeting this morning, Reed, as you know, with Sid Smith at uh, 6.30, Chad. We're going to reconfigure a boardroom because we're going to operate under the assumption that we're not in there. Uh, I do not have at this stage, like I don't have the Oilers proposal. I know I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, but a lot of that was kept kind of hush-hush. It would not surprise me if Roger's place was remodeled a bit. Um and, and there may be some high end, uh, technical type of people brought in since there's not fans to sort of, uh, find a way to, to do some different things with Rogers place that people might think is really cool. So, uh, but again, I don't have full information. I mean, I can tell you what the numbers are. I can tell you the numbers ultimately, uh, it's pretty clear, uh, became a big part. Um, you know, the Oilers have had various different guys. I mean, Bob Nicholson's been kind of heading this up, and Bob was the, the first guy to credit Stu Ballantyne and Tim Shipton. Uh, the province has played a significant uh, factor in Edmonton's uh, desire. We all know that. It's uh, I, I think from the province's perspective, it's probably part of a little bit of a relaunch. I know economists will argue it's, you know, if Edmonton, eventually gets announced here and we're able to play because and we're going to talk about that in a second because there's another story out of st louis tonight yep. um you know people will discuss well what's the actual financial impact all i'm going to tell you is for oilers fans listening to the show right now think of the vision i believe the nbc crew is the crew that's going to be coming here and the sportsnet crew will stay in toronto if it's edmonton and toronto imagine the visuals out of edmonton during the summer Instead of the visuals out of Edmonton during the winter where it's white and snowy instead, you know, a real opportunity for the mayor and the, uh, the city to put itself in the best light. So, uh, we certainly know how much and how engaged the province has been. And, uh, 
I, you know, George LaRock was on today and he thinks it's going to help Edmonton on a recruiting front. And the one thing we've heard is think of an Olympic village style situation. But as in terms of actually doing the play by play for the games, it would not surprise me, Reed, if Jack and me were broadcasting the games from 630 Chet. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And we'll see how that goes, but we, we will have them. And you mentioned the St. Louis Blues story. This came out at the bottom of the hour on The Athletic. Jeremy Rutherford and Scott Burnside with the byline here. I'll just read the first couple of lines. The St. Louis Blues canceled practices at the team's facility because of multiple positive tests for COVID-19. Sources have told The Athletic. Uh, the Blues are practicing in Maryland Heights. They didn't hold their Phase 2 workouts as scheduled on Friday, and they were not scheduled to practice over the weekend either. The uh, names of the players not infected, and obviously, uh, you know, media is careful about reporting that unless the team confirms it anyway. So, I, I mean, I think, Bob, hockey players are human beings. Uh, there are going to be some positive tests, and I think an opportunity for recovery. I mean, here's the thing. If these happen now, you hope they heal. And when everybody can come to the two hub cities, if it, Toronto and Edmonton, that they're healthy and they stay in the bubble and away they go playing hockey. I'm going to throw another thing at you, Reed. When you test, you're going to find positive cases. There was a report out that got very limited reportage, actually, uh, from the CDC saying that uh, they tested six separate uh, regions of the United States and came to the conclusion that nine to 11 times the amount of actual cases are out there as opposed to the ones that are being reported. It's just that for those other people, they don't feel substantially ill, but they're they're carrying it. So, um, and again, Alberta has tested the most in Canada and people, you know, a little bit nervous about maybe 18 to 25 positive tests a day at Edmonton. Well, we've gone from testing five, 600 people a day at Edmonton to testing 2,500 to 3,000 a day at Edmonton. It only logically makes sense as we open it up a bit that you're going to have more cases. So this is going to be something to watch and something, frankly, I mean, I'm, it's, it's concerning that it's St. Louis because we kind of thought, well, Dallas FC, nine players off the Dallas mm-hmm. FC soccer team read. Uh, what happens in Arizona where there's been a huge spike? What happens in Vegas? What happens in Dallas? What happens in Tampa Bay? That's, that's, you know, that to me at this stage, we got to find a way. Like if, if the players can get here, I'm comfortable once they get into that bubble with what I think they have planned. And I don't hundred percent know what I think they have planned. Um, I'm comfortable that, you know, we're going to be able to pull us off, but we got to get those teams here. Well, yeah, and I, and I think the, like, it's, I mean, look, they're, they, they're not picking Toronto Edmonton without a pretty good feeling that it can be done. And we have Rob Leth from, from Global Toronto coming yep. up at 7.30, and, he, you know, he covers the Toronto scene, and he's going to tell us about their bubble. I think it'll be a little more... Um, Spaced. I mean, because Edmonton's is all going to be downtown except for teams that go to Terwilliger, but that's probably only going to be in the first couple of rounds because you're not going to need as many ice sheets once you pare it down. Yeah, I don't even know. Do you know the list of all the ice sheets? I don't even know that at this stage. Like, well, they've said they've said six ice sheets: Rogers Place, the downtown community rink, and the four ice sheets at the Terwilliger Rec Center. That's what uh, I okay. believe Adam. Lo- I believe Adam Lachlan confirm that when he was asked about the possibilities so that would be the only sort of with it within Edmonton that would be the only sort of off-site like out of bubble site is that what we're calling it so they'd have to kind of have a secondary bubble there 
yeah, I guess that's going to be the case. So, um, you know, that's, that's good to know. I mean, I, I think that we're probably pretty aware of what's happened here in Edmonton. I mean, you still have a lot of people that are, uh, you know, I talked to neighbors that are scared about the potential effects of COVID, but I think as a rule of thumb, most Edmontonians realize our caseload has been substantially lower than other, uh, major cities throughout North America and that our province is tested heavily. Uh, Bob Nicholson has experience running big events. Uh, he's been part of world juniors that have been held in Canada and also in Olympic games. And, uh, Stu Ballantyne was with them with that, those Olympic games as well in Vancouver back in 2010. So, I mean, you know, you got Shipton and Tim Shipton. I mentioned him. He's had a lot of experience on the political side and that's important. You, you know, we know the province has really stepped up here. So uh, we'll see how it all comes to fruition. Reed, I'm uh, again, I just want to see the American teams get here and get healthy because clearly one country's got a better handle of it than another. For the Oilers tweeting out today that McDavid, Drysettle, Nurse, Cassie, and Ennis and Lagason all joining the Oilers Phase Two skates. Uh, Brian Nugent Hopkins checked in yesterday, so it's uh, more. It's getting closer and closer to looking like an actual hockey team I, again. As I mentioned earlier, probably more like July 13th for training camp. So you come back after next weekend and get it going. But Bob, I mean, it's finally getting to be exciting. And if, from an Oilers standpoint. You know, we're going to get into seeing how they look and, and debating this and that. I, in terms of the, the high-end guys on the Oilers, I mean, there, there are still the, the big three, as we called them more last year when there wasn't a lot of depth, but I think there's still the big three. They play a ton. And, and I, if there's one advantage I would point to to the Oilers is that Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, and McDavid have got this break and now jump in with a ton of energy and no wear and tear into highly important games. To me, that might be, and hey, there are question marks. Is the penalty killing going to hold up? How are the goalies going to be? I get it. But I think this rest for these guys could wind up being one of the biggest positives. Yeah, Reed, I, it's, it's a good point. I mean, for me, what I want to know is who's in shape and who's not in shape because that's going to play a factor in how you, you know, because I, I think we're going to probably see, it's funny, you, we've discussed this a lot. Uh, I thought at one point we'd see Nugent Hopkins with um, Drysaddle and Yamamoto, I now believe we're going to see Ennis there. And maybe we'll see Nugent Hopkins with McDavid, especially going against Chicago, because it would force the Blackhawks to pick their poison. And if the Oilers have balance, um, because clearly Drysaddle's got a real connectivity with Connor Yamamoto, um, you know, Jonathan Taze can't play against both those guys. So that's going to be a bit of a story. Where is a guy like Athanasiu at? You know, is he going to be, is he going to force his way into the mix? What about Joe Kim Nygaard? You know, let's not forget about him. Is he going to end up playing on a checking line with Shannon Archibald? And then how do you deploy Neil, potentially Gaetan Haas or Jujar Cabra, who's part of that penalty killing unit, and Alex Chason? And Neil and Chason are both on the power play unit. So that's the forwards. Defensively, I think we know what the top four is going to be. What's the third pairing going to be? And in goal, I mean, how many guys have actually taken shots? I don't know how many yeah. guys out there. Have ta- That's going to be a big factor, Reed. So I think Edmonton's a better team than Chicago. Chicago, you know, unloaded, obviously, Robin Lehner, and they got rid of uh, Gustafson on defense as well. And conversely, the Oilers added three players, but really only saw one player contribute, and that was Tyler Innes. Like, what's Green going to do? What's Athanasiu going to do? Oilers have more depth than they've had, and people should be excited. Again, we just got to make sure we can get to the point where we can play. Bob, always fun to have you on the show. Thanks for spending part of your Friday night on Inside Sports, man. It's always a pleasure. Have a good weekend.
Reed, if you're stuck and can't get anybody better, you can always call. Yeah, maybe I'll call you back in an hour. Thanks, buddy. All right, see ya. <laughs> That's Bob Stoffer, Oilers now, every day, noon to two here on 630 Chet. Uh, the big L writing in, he said, hey, Reed, Bob Stoffer's recollections are absolutely incredible. A true sports enthusiast, does he plan on disguising himself as a royal pizza delivery guy as an attempt to penetrate the bubble? Oh, I, I can't confirm or deny, Big L. Back after the break. All right, good to have Bob Stoffer on the show. You heard from Al McCoy earlier. He's the longtime play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns. So the Washington Redskins have put out a statement. In light of recent events around our country and feedback from our community, the Washington Redskins are announcing the team will undergo a thorough review of the team's name. They have some uh, quote in there from the team owner, Dan Schneider, from head coach Ron Rivera. Uh, if you're any sort of a uh, follow sports to any extent, you know that this has been an issue and it's been brought up for a long time. Daniel Schneider, who's owned the team for uh, the last 21 years, I believe it's up to now, has been very resistant about changing the name or discussing changing the name. Well, here's what's happened. FedEx, who sponsors, uh, has the name sponsorship for the Redskins home field, has said, Basically, we, we think the name should be looked at. So when you have a company that gives you that kind of money, I, I guess now you say, all right, maybe we should take a look at the name. So obviously, this once again brings up the discussion about the name here in Edmonton for our Canadian Football League team, the Edmonton Eskimos, who did put out a statement today saying they conducted research and engagement with the Inuit community about their team name. They announced the findings several months ago. They found no consensus among Inuit people and no considerable support for the uh, Eskimos name in uh, in various parts of northern Canada. They, the Eskimos have said, you know, they are keeping the name, but they're they're going to keep up the engagement and and keep up the review process. This I I wonder if this simply will not go away until the Eskimos change the name. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that's a justifiable reason to change the name, but it, it's certainly been coming up for a while. There it, it ebbs and flows. Len Rhodes, who was the president of the Eskimos uh, until Chris Preston took over a few months ago. He and Alan Watt, you know, went up north, talked to a lot of people in those communities, and I, I trust their findings that there there was not a consensus. And I, I believe there were probably some very vocal people about it who uh, were, were very angry about it and wanted to change. And I also think they probably talked to some people who said, of, of all the things that we could deal with in the world, the the team name of a football uh, of a football team isn't one of them. I mean, I think there are issues with education and uh, health and poverty and all those kinds of things. So, what's going to happen from here? You know, I've got some texts here during the show and uh, have received some interesting message from from fans and listeners throughout the day as well. And I, I'm just going to kind of get to some of those. And seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three is the number to call. And text. This texture says, what an agonizingly repetitive conversation this always becomes, specifically on the Eskimos. How many more times do they need to consult with leaders? Either change the name or don't, but stop ripping the scab off the same argument every 18 months. 
And and that's an interesting point. And I and I wonder too if if the Eskimos had a private owner, you know, a single owner or a family that owned the team, if this might have if this would be dealt with differently than it would be with you know, you know community ownership. They got about ninety to hundred people who are shareholders in the team, a board of directors who want, who who run the team. I mean, if there was an owner like Daniel Schneider, it's easier to say. Like, I'm not, I just, I'm not changing it. And, and if you don't like it too bad, or you just say, I'm going to change it and I'm changing it. And uh, that's what it's going to be from now on. So whatever, we're moving on. You know, my personal opinion is, I, I and I understand that to, to some people, the Eskimos name is offensive. I realize to some people that it isn't. I'm not of that heritage. I'm not sure if my opinion really means a lot in, in determining whether the, the name is offensive. And I also think that even, even though it may be offensive to some, it's, it's not the same level of, of, of offense and inappropriateness and insult that some other words are. And I'm sure many of you know what those words are. And there are names out there that you would never even dream of calling a, a sports team. I will say this, how I feel about the name Eskimo specifically. I think it's an outdated name. If you created a team now and somebody said, let's call them the Eskimos, I think that would be quickly dismissed. Is that alone enough reason to change the name? I don't think so, but I do think I have to acknowledge that it's an outdated name. Got a text here from Michael who says, I think if any name has possible connotations based on negative word usage, or if a member of a group with ties to the original name does not like it or thinks it could be better, it makes most sense to be changed to something that all can agree on and enjoy. I also think people hate change and have intense adverse reaction to it when it doesn't actually have to be that deep. That's a text 780-496-0063. Uh, Rocket says, hi, Reed. To me, Eskimo is not derogatory. I am Cree. If it was the Edmonton Crees, it wouldn't be offensive. Redskins, on the other hand, has and always uh, ha- is and always has been a derogatory type of comment. That is from Rocket. I-, I will also tell you this. The Eskimos did a, a survey and over 90% of season ticket holders said they didn't want to change the name. And that factors into this if they're worried that season ticket holders walk if the name is changed. Now, I wouldn't be in that group because I like CFL football. I like having a team here. And I would still, quite frankly, if they change the team colors from green and gold, that would bother me more than if they change the team name. I'm going to continue uh, this discussion a little bit after 7 o'clock and then Cam Moon from Red Deer. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.